0: call cool, My name's Nat. Uh, yeah, and I'm going to be carrying on this morning with our 2 Corinthians series. So we've been going through the book of 2 Corinthians chapter by chapter and I've just really enjoyed it. Maddie P and Pete have kind of taken the bulk of it and Phil's been in there once and these guys have just done so well unpacking the Bible and bringing life to us. So I'm going to carry on uh, this week with uh, chapter 8. So you can turn your Bible to there if you've got one with you, but I'm going to be reading it out anyway. So normally, normally I like starting uh, my talks with some stories, but I'm going to save my stories till later, just to keep you guessing and waiting, anticipation. So instead, um, I'm going to do something else. Uh, (laughs) Matty P, um, last week he talked about attitudes, and how attitudes are really important, the way we, you know, in our heart towards other people, and that can hold us back from the plans of God, or bring us into the plans of God when we have the right attitude towards people. So I want to share some bad attitudes with you and this is from a company called Thomas Cook Holidays and some of you might have seen this on Facebook um, it's real complaints that tourists have sent in to this holiday company during or after their holidays so the first one is this I compared the size of our one bedroom suite to our friend's three bedroom suite and ours was considerably smaller <laughs> we found that the sand was not quite like the sand in the brochure your sand was shown as white but it was more yellow in real life it's lazy of local shopkeepers in Porto Villarto to close in the afternoons. I often needed to buy things during the siesta times. This should be banned. <laughs> no one told us there would be fish in the water. The children were scared. <laughs> I love this one. Although although the brochure said there was a fully equipped kitchen, there was no egg slicer in the drawers. <laughs> Because it's not a fully equipped kitchen, it's a kitchenette without an egg slice. Anyone agree? Uh, I think it should be explained in the brochure that the local convenience store does not sell proper biscuits like custard creams or ginger nuts. <laughs> I think Pete and Julie wrote that one. <laughs> On my holiday to Goa in India, I was disgusted to find that almost every restaurant served curry. I don't like spicy food. <laughs> Well, don't go to India! <laughs> the roads were uneven and bumpy, so we could not read the local guidebook during the bus ride to the resort. Because of this, we were unaware of the many things that would have made our, our holiday much more fun. When we were in Spain, there were too many Spanish people there. <laughs> the receptionist was Spanish. The food was Spanish. No one told us there would be so many foreigners. <laughs> Newsflash, you're the foreigner. We had to line up up outside to catch the boat, and there was no air conditioning. This one's kind of bad, but I'm going to read it anyway. My fiance and I requested twin beds when we booked, but instead we were placed in a room with a king bed. We now hold you responsible for the fact that we are pregnant (laughs) and, (laughs) and would like to be reimbursed. This would not have happened if you put us in the room we had booked. It took us nine hours to fly home from Jamaica to England. It took the Americans only three. We think this is unfair. That is the last one. You've got to think about this one. This is my favorite. The brochure stated no hairdressers at the resort. We are trainee hairdressers. And we think they knew that and made us wait longer for service. Oh, man. So that has a little bit to do with what we're going to talk about, (laughs) slash not much. Okay, so 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So the Corinthian church and Paul, who wrote this letter, they had an interesting relationship. So Paul planted that church originally, and then he he spent quite a bit of time, I think it was 18 months, and then moved on, and uh, from then on they had a bit of a tumultuous relationship, as other guys have shared during the series. So other people came in and kind of started poisoning their minds against Paul and saying, oh, he's not really, you know, he's not really an apostle. How could an apostle of Jesus suffer so much? And actually outwardly, he can't really speak that well. He's not very impressive. And they kind of twisted their minds a little bit to kind of look at more outward things like, you know, how impressive people are and things like that. And Paul wrote four letters to the Corinthians, two of which we have, two of which we don't have anymore, and a lot of that was to do with trying to let them see the error of their ways and come back to Paul and the true message about Jesus. And when we get to chapter 8, he's addressing the, the, um, the issue of a financial gift to the church in Jerusalem. So when, when they were kind of more together, this church and Paul, they had agreed, yes, we want to help the church in Jerusalem. That church was really poor. They were going through a famine. They didn't have enough food. It was really dire times for, for the Christians in Jerusalem. And so Paul had said, hey, I want to go around the churches and raise money and take this big gift back to this church and help them out. And it was a big deal because that church was mainly Jewish, these churches were mainly Gentile, and it was a sign, a practical sign of the fact that when you become a Christian, you're one, one man, you're one body in Christ. So when all this sort of fallout happened between the Corinthians and Paul, this gift, this idea of giving a gift from the Corinthians, plus other churches, kind of fell to the wayside. So, in chapter 8, Paul's saying, Come on, guys, now you've remembered that you said you're going to do this. Let's do this together. Let's bless these people and give financially to them. So, it starts by talking about another church, the Macedonians, and what they're going to do in response to this famine. And we're going to read uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 15. I'm not going to put it on the screen now because I'm going to read it and I want you to hear it, or you can read along in your Bibles, but we'll put verses up in a minute uh, and the ones we're going to focus on. So, verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, and speech, and knowledge, and in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you. But I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you're hard-pressed, but that there might be equality or fairness. At the present time, your plenty will supply their needs, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality, as it is written. The one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little Did not have too little. Dear Lord, I want to pray that you speak to us through this, Lord. We just thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it gives life to us, Lord. And we want to keep learning what you're saying and and being and following after you closely, Lord Jesus. So speak to us this morning, Lord. Amen. So this comes across as a bit of an interesting passage when you first look at it, because Paul starts by saying, I want to compare you with this other group, the Macedonians, and, and what they're doing. And often we think of comparison as a bad thing. And often it is a really unhealthy and unhelpful thing. If you're judging other people or judging yourself against them and thinking, oh, they're better than me, or they're worth more in God's eyes, or they're greater than me, comparison is a really unhealthy thing that our culture is full of and it just kind of drains people of, of confidence. But actually, if we get our hearts in the right place, we can look at other people's example and take massive courage from them, and draw inspiration from other people. And actually, we do this all the time. But it's about where your heart is coming from. And notice here that Paul doesn't look at the outcome. He doesn't say, look, the Macedonian gave $5 million, and you only gave this much. He's not looking at outcomes. He's looking at your heart. Where's your heart at? So he says to them, I want to test your love by comparing it with the earnestness of the Macedonian. So it's looking at the heart and the motives. Get myself sorted. So Paul starts by looking at the Macedonian churches, which is Philippi, uh, Thessalonica, Berea, and maybe others. And I want to look at what he says about these churches and let us draw inspiration from them in terms of the way we live our lives and our generosity, whether it's finance, but much broader than that, the way we give ourselves in prayer and and in love to people and and we just give our, our lives for others and for God. So we're going to highlight a few verses, I'm going to read this again. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Notice there that it's grace. God gave them grace. Actually, grace is how you get saved. It's that you didn't deserve salvation, like Pete was talking about, but God gave it to you anyway because he loves you. But grace is not just that. That's the start. Grace is also God's power for you to do something with it, and he gives you grace to do something in his power. So he gave grace to the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. I just want to look at that last verse to start with. And just to say... Being generous in any area of your life is not an outward act on its own. It's not a ritual, a ritual that you do or to please someone else. It actually comes from giving yourself, first of all, to God. Yes. It's a discipleship issue. It's a devotion to yes. Jesus issue. So the Macedonian church didn't say, Paul, do whatever you want because we want to please you because you know we're just spellbound by you. They said, actually, we give ourselves to God. Yes. And once we give ourselves to God, we, we then test the will of God and go, actually... You know what? We feel like God is saying we need to support Paul in his giving of the money to another church. So they gave themselves to God first and then they they were able to then give themselves to a specific situation or a need that, that came up. Actually our lives are to be an overflow of our devotion to Jesus. That's what discipleship is. It's just giving away yourself because Jesus gave everything for you in the first place. It comes out of love. Everything we do outwardly has got to come out of love for him. That's the motivation, otherwise the outward stuff won't last. In Mark 12, Jesus is in the, in the temple, and he's watching all these people go by and give their gifts. And there's rich people, and the rich people are coming, and they're giving a massive financial gift to the temple and making sure everyone sees it. And then a lady walks in who's got ripped clothes that's fashionable now, but it wasn't, you know, when was when because she was poor. So she had ripped clothes. She was a widow. She had hardly any income. She walks in and she gives two small copper coins. Jesus says she's given more than everyone else because she gave out of all that she had. And, yeah, she gave lots of money in comparison to what she had. But what he's saying there is she gave out of all that she was in, in love for God. It wasn't a show. It wasn't an outward thing of I'm trying to please someone or, you know, make leaders... Uh, like me, so I'm going to give money. She gave out of devotion to Jesus, out of devotion to God. Being a disciple was like that. It's about saying, all I have is yours, God. And that's what the Macedonian church did in this circumstance. That's a little bit of a uh, different gospel than sometimes we can hear or we can actually kind of come up with ourselves. We think, hey, I'm going to come to Jesus and he's going to make my life better. He's going to improve the life I have. Jesus is not going to improve the life you have. He wants you to give it away. To say, it's not mine anymore. I completely give my life away to you, Jesus. And he gives you a new life that is more glorious than you could ever imagine. But it's not easy, and it's not just a self-improvement thing. Actually, if you don't know Jesus here this morning, he's not asking you to come to him so you can improve it. He's saying, lay everything down. Your choices, your money, your relationships, your job doesn't mean you have to quit all those things. But he's saying, put it before me and let me make the choices for you. Yeah. Let me be the Lord of your life. Yeah. And he's not like a, you know, an angry boss who's then going to do things just to hurt you. But he's saying, lay it down. Because everything you laid down <coughs> is for the sake of me giving you something better and more fruitful. And I'm going to use you to, to change other people's lives as you pour out, pour out yours. Yeah. That's what discipleship is. That's what following Jesus really is. Yeah. We can't sign up to follow Jesus thinking it's self-improvement. That's not really following Jesus. So this is what the Macedonian church were like. They it actually says here. They urgently pleaded with Paul for the privilege of giving. How amazing is that! Literally, they bid Paul, take our money, Paul. Do you know of many people like that? Who plead with people, you've got to take my money. Maybe an infomercial. Man, I need a blender that's going to heat up my soup as it blends. BJ was saying, take my money. (laughs) Please don't do that. But how many people do you know who just give, who are so eager to give, they're like, literally, we want to just give it. We're pleading with you. The implication here is that Paul, it seems to be that Paul was saying, look, you guys are in extreme poverty yourselves. Let someone else do this. They were in a really hard, hard place themselves, the churches of Macedonia. And it's like Paul was saying, look, someone else can do this. And they say, don't you rob us of the privilege of being a part of helping someone else. That's what it is. When it comes from your heart, everything you do is a privilege to God and how you pour your life out for other people. You actually lose that, lose that sense of begrudgingly because it's like, I'm doing it for Jesus. Uh, Tom Wright, he, he's written a uh, you know, a commentary on this, and he said that he heard of a pastor who got up to lecture his church on how much they were giving financially. It sounds like, you know, he, oh yeah, what's going to happen? He got up and lectured his church and said, you guys are actually really poor, and I know how much you're giving, and it is too much. You're going to put yourselves into, into personal harm if you keep giving this much. And it was because they were just pouring out money because they believed in what they were giving it to to see the community around them affected. And he was saying, stop, you need to, you need to pull back. It would be good to have those kind of problems, eh? I, um, I, Minnie and I had an experience maybe a few years ago where financially things were really, really tough for us. And um, we were just praying about it, and it just felt like we weren't getting anywhere. And you know, we were praying in the promises of God, but it was really tricky, and we just didn't have enough money, and babies are expensive. They come for free, but then they cost you a lot of money. <laughs> um, and so we were meeting, I was meeting with one of the leaders in this church, and he said to me, you know how things are going... How, going with you financially, and I was just talking about it. And they said along the lines of, why don't you just stop giving for a while? Things are really tough for you. Just, you know, for a season, just stop giving. Just get things back in order. We know you, you give. And I went back to Minnie, and we talked about it, and we thought, yeah, we'll, we'll pray about that. And the conclusion we came to was, actually, we don't want to lose the privilege of sowing into what God was doing. And I'm not saying that's a rule. Like, you, that's, that's the one, that's the principle you live by. I'm not at all saying that. Please don't mishear me. But in that circumstance, we just felt like, no, God, we feel like you're saying, press through this. We want to we keep giving to what we believe in, and actually that he really blessed us. And we didn't have a, a place we couldn't afford to rent or buy a house, and then now we have a house. And God really blessed us through that. And like I say, that's not a, a principle to live by. It's a relationship that you're in. And we ask God, God, what should we do here? And then we stepped down. But it made me proud to be a part of a church. Where people say to you, Are you okay financially? And do you, should you think about not giving for a while? It made me proud because actually, this church isn't after your money, it's after your love for Jesus. We're with each other to help each other experience the love of God and then give ourselves away for the community to experience the love of God. And we don't really talk about money that much at all. Probably not enough. I love the heart that looks for a heart after God rather than just, how much are you giving? Come on, we've got to build this thing. We've got to build a reputation, a name for King's Church. Actually, no one in here is really interested in that. We don't want to build a name for ourselves. We want to see the community changed by the name of Jesus. You know, actually, we have got a great opportunity coming up to give, which is a gift day that we do a few times a year. And that's an opportunity for us to pray and go, God, what are you saying between me and you? What are you saying we should give to? And if I was to put a word on the, the things that we're trying to raise money for this time around in a few weeks, it's that we're trying to invest into what God is doing amongst us to, to just help us go out into the community and grow and affect Porirua and beyond. So part of that revolves around a camp that we've got coming up in November where we've got the team from Bedford coming and we're going to gather as a church at Forest Lakes. And we really feel that God is saying this is going to be a big moment for us as a church. And we've got Simon and Phil coming. And those guys carry a grace, a gift from God to see breakthroughs in personal life and see freedom and joy come to people who have been bound up for years and stuff, whether it's physical sickness or just inner problems, insecurities they haven't worked through or issues they've gone through. These guys have an anointing to see that broken off people and to see the kingdom come in power and to, and to see people released into gifting and prophetic dreams that they've, that they've been carrying in their heart and that God has for them. So part of the gift day is we want to pay for those guys to come over. They're, they're actually giving up a lot to be here, flying a very long way. You know, They've got kids and they're giving up time with their kids and the stuff they have responsibilities at home. We want to make sure we can pay for their flights. We also want to make sure that we pay for anyone to get to that camp who may not be able to afford to. So we just it's going to be such a good time. We literally are saying to people, If you're in the church, we want you at that camp. If you're on the fringe, make sure you're at that camp. If you've got friends or neighbors or a pet, bring them to camp. We want everyone to come whether they know Jesus yet or not because we really believe it's going to be a time when God shifts something in us as a church and deposits grace in us as a church. So we don't want money to be a problem. So if you're thinking, man, I don't know if I can afford to come to that camp, we're raising money so that you can come. So see one of us, see Pete, see Phil, make sure money's not a problem for you to get there. The last thing we're going to be giving, for, giving to with this gift day is our new premises and the offices. Now, office isn't a great word for them, really, because that sounds like we just got them to, you know, shuffle bits of paper around. And we do a bit of that, you know. We do a bit of organizing and, and communication, and Sally's there, and she's brilliant. Not Sally-Ann, the other Sally. <laughs> Sally is there, and she's doing so well, you know, helping us communicate better and things like that as a church. But the, the big exciting reason we have those offices is to affect the community around. And we've already seen that happen. So we had an Alpha course that was just amazing. One of the guests on that Alpha course said that in decades of her being in religious experiences and around, around stuff, church stuff, that Alpha course was the most she felt loved in over three decades. That is why we're giving to the offices, because we want that to expand. Jenny and others, they're starting a group where mothers and and young mums with babies and others can come and just have fun and be part of a community and be loved. We want to give so that can carry on and that those offices can be a place where the community can come in and, and feel God's love. Those are just a few initiatives. We want to see many more. So personally, what I'll be doing, Minnie and I will be sitting down and praying and going, okay, God, what are you telling us to give? We're not going to go to anyone else and say, what's, what's the expectations here? You know, What do I have to do to be a, a good member of the church? No, it's between us and God. We give ourselves to God, and we ask Him, is there, is there some money you want us to give? Or what are you saying in this, God? Verse 2. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Can you see there's two massive dichotomies in this verse, severe trials to overflowing manaho joy, extreme poverty into rich generosity. How does that work? That's not an equation that works if you're good at math. It's because of grace, the grace God gave them. It was the gift to be able to be generous in extreme circumstances. This is the dichotomy or the tension of true discipleship with Jesus is that you can be going through something really tough and God gives you the grace to be a blessing to someone else. I'm going to tell you a story later that perfectly just illustrates this, a, a true story that happened last weekend, and it's just yeah, amazing. It's another Sally. It's not Sally Ann or Sally not Ann. It's another Sally. <laughs> yeah. Do you know that you can, have ex- you can have overflowing joy and extreme poverty? Because joy is an inside job. Do you know that every problem you're facing, you can have 10, 100, a million blessings that God is giving you at the same time? You're changed, you're adopted, you're in His family, you're favoured, you're a new creation for all eternity and right now. And I'm not, I'm not putting down or downgrading the things you're going through, but if you can find the grace to give thanks for what you do have, when you're waiting for the stuff you don't have, that's how overflowing joy can happen in your life. I'm sometimes good at this, I'm sometimes really not good at this. I know, because I get real grumpy, and then I know, you know what, I'm being entitled here. I'm saying, God, you owe me something. God doesn't owe me anything. He's a good father who's given me salvation and a whole lot of other stuff, but I don't, he doesn't owe that, owe me any of that. Amen. But he gives it to me anyway because he's a good father. The Macedonians had no entitlement. They were rich in joy, and they begged to be a part of it even though they were in extreme circumstances. I want to be like that, and I want to be like Jesus, who in verse 9 it says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, For your sake, he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. That's the Christian message. Jesus became poor so that you could become rich. And then you pour out your life so that other people can become rich. If you don't know Jesus this morning, I would encourage you, Jesus wants to make you so rich. (laughs) It might not be dollars, but he wants to make you so rich. But he doesn't want to stop there. He wants you to come on a journey of pouring your life out to make others rich. That's where true joy comes from. And I would encourage you, sign up for that. You can, you can come to know Jesus today and know the richness of his blessing and his spirit. Don't leave today without coming to Jesus. It's the best, thing, best decision you'll make. Many of us are in trials of many kinds. We're waiting for physical healing, waiting for relationships to be mended. We're waiting for that dream job, or more time, or more money, or the grass just to become greener on our side of the, the hill. Some of us have sidelined ourselves because we're waiting for life to get easy and then we can be a blessing to others and we can love other people and be generous with our lifestyles. The Macedonian churches teaches us don't sideline yourself waiting for life to get easy. You just pour out what you've got in the middle of your trial and suffering. It might not be rah, rah, God's going to make your life easy, but it's the truth. He'll give you grace in the middle of your circumstances that are difficult. And, of course, we pray for circumstances to change. But we just give out of ourselves in love to Him, even in the middle of it. So I want to tell you a story about another lady called Sally. She, um, she goes to church with my brother and sister-in-law in London. Her and her husband, Gordon, they moved from um, a pretty you know, little village in England. They felt God say, move to the middle of London, to Camden, be a part of a church plant that's trying to affect Londoners. And they sold their house and they moved into a tiny little one-bedroom flat in London. And when Simon and Christina met them, they were just full of joy and full of happiness. They welcomed them into their connect group that was quite small at the time. And then suddenly it was growing because Sally had befriended this single mother and baby on their street. And they started coming along to to their small group. And then she befriended some neighbors and they started coming. And some more people came to church and it was gradually growing. My brother started seeing a bit of a trend with these guys. The thing about Sally is that she has uh, fibromyalgia, which means she's in constant pain, and at night she grinds her teeth in her sleep so she has jaw problems because of it. And she's about half deaf. And then she got diagnosed with terminal bowel cancer, well, potentially terminal bowel cancer, which my brother's just told me looks like it's in remission and she, it looks like she may be healed of that. And whether it's through God, the NHS, or both, praise God. But she's been dealing with six months of intense chemotherapy while being you know, not able to hear very well, jaw problems, chronic pain. They had baptisms last Sunday at their church, and there were nine people planned to be baptised in their church. Over half of those people shared their stories and said, I met Sally, and then I met Jesus. She's so open and overflowing and generous with her life, That through these problems, I can't even imagine how hard it must be to be her in her life. Five or more people came to know Jesus because of her life. And she works in Christians Christians Against Poverty, CAP. And part of that was people meeting her and she was helping people with their finances. And then they met Jesus through her. That's what it means to be like the Macedonians. It's to say, I am in extreme poverty and I'm going to give my life away so that other people can become rich. It's not self-abasement. It's not saying if you've got money in your bank account, you're evil and you've got to give it away. It's saying you're looking for opportunities to say, yes, Lord, I want to serve the community so they can come to know Jesus. They can get healed. They can get saved. They can get set free and they can get sorted in their finances and all those things that encompass um, Jesus' power. I want to tell you a story of one more person who got baptized that day as well. This is last Sunday, and I'll show you a picture. This is Alice. She got baptised. She wasn't part of the nine who had planned to get baptised. She was a spontaneous baptism that day. And that's James next to her. James and Alice were sitting right there a month ago, where Jack and Sally are sitting. They, um, they're friends of my... Well, he's friends with my brother, and they both work together as like high-flying accountants. And they were sent to Australia to work. And they got tickets to come to Wellington and watch the Lions game in Wellington. And we didn't know them, but they know my brother, so they know us. So they came and stayed with my parents, and and the women's conference was on. So me and Dad and um, Levi and Asher took them into town and showed them um, them the town before their game. But they spent a bit of time with Mum and Dad, and Dad told them his story of how he got saved at his baptism (laughs) and how he came to know Jesus was wrestling with it and not knowing if this was the right thing to do. And um, he shared that story with Alice. She came here on a Sunday morning, and where's Claire Todd? Claire Todd was preaching, and Alice sent us a message saying, the conversations that I had with Lonnie and Sarah and Claire Todd's preach that was about courage were massive factors in me giving my life to Jesus and getting baptized on that Sunday. The 10th person. Yeah, thank you, Lord. That's Claire, that's mum and dad giving uh, giving their lives away, pouring themselves out so that other people can come to know Jesus. Do you understand with me? It's just it'd be great to pray. I just feel like God wants to minister to our hearts for a minute. Thank you, Lord. I just encourage you just to quieten down your heart with other things that are going on, whether it's the busyness of the day or whatever. Just take a couple of moments just to hear the words that God is speaking through this passage to us and through the story of Sally. I just feel like God wants to pour out His love upon us afresh this morning. He's not telling us to jump higher or run faster or just do stuff. He's saying, receive my grace so that you can pour it out to other people. Many people here are suffering with things that are just really tough right now. And I feel like God is saying there's a number of you who have put other things on hold because you're saying, I've just got to get this sorted and then I can pour out or do things or follow my dreams. I just feel like God is saying, by my grace, you can start that now. By my grace, I'm going to speak to you about things that you can do to pour out your life and love for people, even in the midst of your trial. God doesn't love your trials (laughs) or your sicknesses, but He loves you through them and wants to use you to see Porirua changed, to see the Wellington region changed, to see different cultures and nationalities and people groups and people situations turned around for the name of Jesus. Just repent of that sense of entitlement. God, you owe me something. He owes you nothing. But he gives you everything. Father, we just want to thank you so much that you've put us here right now, Lord. And you've put this church in Porirua 2017 to make a difference, Lord Jesus. Lord, we just thank you that it's not by our strength. We have none. It's by your amazing grace, Lord Jesus. And we receive that right now, Lord. We say, give us your strength, your power, your joy, and your love, Lord Jesus. Lord, make us into a people who don't show up for a Sunday, Lord, but people who give our lives away for you and for others, Lord Jesus. Lord, Lord let us help us lay down our reputations, our tiredness, our busyness, our complaints against you, Lord Jesus. Thank you as we empty ourselves of them now, you're going to pour out your love upon us, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray, add to the family. Lord, I pray you encounter by your spirit. Anyone here right now who doesn't know you, let them know that you cherish them, that you love them, and you want to call them into an adventure with you, Jesus. You were made poor so that they could be rich, Lord Jesus. Sink that into our hearts, Lord Jesus. (laughs) Thank you, Lord.